This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Bamboo HR. Do you run a business or work in HR? Bamboo HR can manage all of your employee data and automate countless tasks in one easy-to-use system. Get an extended 14-day free trial at bamboohr.com slash fool. That's bamboohr.com slash fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, a podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I'm your host, Vincent Chen. It's Tuesday, October 16th, and joining me in studio is Molly Fool contributor Dan Klein. Hey, Dan. Thanks for coming into Full HQ this week. Thanks for having me. Uh, listeners, I hope you all join me in wishing Dan a very happy birthday today. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show, buddy. I know it's not the most conventional birthday celebration being on a podcast. <laughs> Actually, you know, I, I put this up on Facebook, but I can honestly think of nothing I enjoy more than doing these shows. So getting to spend my birthday, you know, it's a work day. It's not a Saturday. I'm I'm going to, to Vegas next weekend. We'll celebrate the birthday. Sure, sure. But for a work day to get to, you know, be with friends, tape a couple tape a couple of podcasts, it's really hard to to picture anything better. All right. Well I appreciate that. And it's great to have you with us, uh, especially because we are going to the industry focused mailbag today for this episode. So this discussion is actually long, long overdue. Do we have a graphic for that? Like where like a mailbag comes across the screen? <laughs> I, I wish I'll look into that with our producers. But one of our listeners, Matt, he reached out to us over the summer actually, uh, asking about Nintendo. Uh, we did not forget you, Maddie. But the last time Nintendo came up on the show, it was a really brief update on the strong early reception and sales performance for the company's latest console, the Switch. So this was uh, maybe spring of 2017. So Matt's right up uh, to us. It's a little bit too long to quote here on the show in its entirety, but basically he wanted to know why video game competitors like Activision Blizzard, uh, Take-Two Interactive, and Electronic Arts, they typically get the most attention for, uh, in terms of the gaming and esports companies, even though Nintendo has plenty of its own strengths, which we'll get into. So, Matt, we're going to look at Nintendo's business, some of the latest developments. But to start, it's worth noting uh, that Nintendo is a Japanese company. They're headquartered in Kyoto, and the stock trades on exchanges in T- Tokyo and Osaka. So, for most listeners on this show, uh, those of us based in the U.S., if you prefer to avoid trading on foreign exchanges, which is possible, but I think daunting uh, to most uh, every individual investors, you'll have to rely on the American Depository Receipts, or ADRs. So for Nintendo, those ADRs go by the tickers NTDOY and NTDOF. That first one, NTDOY, sees significantly more trading volume, with hundreds of thousands of shares changing hands most days. And eight of those ADRs represent one ordinary share of Nintendo stock on its home exchange. So going back to Matt's question, a big reason, I think, why you don't see Nintendo included in as many of these stock recommendations for video game exposure um, is the fact that I think a lot of investors Investors feel uncomfortable trading pink sheet or over-the-counter ADRs like these shares, uh, but Nintendo is not required to report the full detailed financial and business information to the Securities and Exchange Commission as a result. So while I can go to SEC's Edgar search tool and pull up uh, the Activision Electronic Arts 10K or 10Q filings, that's not the case for Nintendo, though they do uh, offer a lot of pretty solid reporting on their investor relations. There's website. also no earnings call, mm-hmm. so you sort of lose a lot of the color that you get from questions. Uh, so you get the straight reporting, the top sales, the titles, the year over year, but you don't get sort of the like, what are your plans? Are you thinking about making a Super Mario Brothers movie again? Like they, so some things that might get them news stories in a traditional cycle on another company don't come up for Nintendo. Yep. And as you can imagine, that lack of reporting, it's going to give a lot of individual investors some second thoughts before they take a position. But this is a pretty storied 
you know, 40 plus billion dollar company, I do think that it does deserve uh, more investor attention. And I think uh, that's why we'll get into um, the company, its business, and the rest of the discussion because they're enjoying quite the tailwind right now. So, Dan, the big catalyst for the company in the past 18 months has been that new console, the Switch. You are a proud Switch owner. What's the special sauce here? So, it's important to say, that while the Nintendo brand was in a strong position before the Switch, they own a lot of great IP, tons of games you've you've heard of, characters you know. They were struggling in the console business. The they had the Wii, which was a mega hit. When that cycle died off, the Wii U was let's just say not a mega hit. Yes, the Switch was really a home run in that it's something totally different. It is a video game console in that you can plug it into your television and play video games on your television console. It is also a tablet portable device. You can carry it like I'm holding it now and play it with the controllers on the sides. You can prop it up and take the controllers off and use it as like a mini television. So it sort of gives families a device that they can they can all play around the living room television. That's sort of why I bought it. And while they're traveling, it's an alternative thing for the kids to do. It doesn't need to be internet connected for the vast majority of, of gameplay. So you don't run into the like, you know, kid playing on his iPad and then it loses the connection and you can't play. So it's a very different take. And it's also, they did not go for it's the highest resolution, it's a million pixels, it's 4K. It's it's just a good game experience. So they were able to keep the price down comparative. And for Nintendo, they all, the management philosophy has always been about that fun, unique entertainment experience. Uh, I want to talk a little bit, though, about just kind of the financial impact that the Switch has had. So it is, I'm not I on can't the company or on me personally, because it's cost <laughs> me quite a bit of money <laughs> in the games, I'm sure. But the success, I can't overstate that the success of the Switch has really helped to breathe new life into Nintendo's business. So, if you look at the financials, uh, Nintendo reports the results in Japanese yen, which we converted to dollars. So, there might be some small differences in our numbers if you guys calculate something on your own, depending on the conversion rate you use. But overall, revenue declined. For eight years straight, starting in 2010, um, and during that week period, uh, as you mentioned, Nintendo has had released the very ill-fated Wii U. Um, investors pretty much watched as the top line went from a peak of 16.4 billion dollars to 4.6 billion dollars, so a huge decline. And in that lead-up period to the Switch, fiscal 2017, for example, which ended in March of uh, of that year, revenue was down three percent. Um, that was, of course, though the month. The Switch made its debut. So, March 2017, Switch makes its release. The company's definitely on a weak streak. Flash forward one year later, March as of uh, March 2018, so it's fiscal 2018 results, um, that year saw revenue more than double to $10 billion, thanks to all the momentum from the blowout sales of this new console. And as of June 30th, Nintendo has sold almost 20 million units of the Switch. It took less than 10 months for the Switch to outpace uh, the lifetime sales of the Wii U. So that's how bad the Wii U was, and how strong the Switch. The has been. Switch filled a market niche. You know, it, you go back to the Wii. Unless you only had young kids, very few people only had a Wii. The Wii was like the secondary gaming device in the house, the one that like you know mom and dad played with as well. The the Wii U didn't really fit that niche. It was a little too expensive. The Switch was just a very logical package. And the biggest problem, those numbers are actually hurt by the fact that they couldn't make them as fast as they were selling them. Yes, they, they were, were very difficult supplies. to get yes. in the first four or five months it was out. That's, and that's also because these things were absolutely flying off the shelves. And I think overall, the, the approach that management has taken to the Switch 
and some other small but really fast-growing parts of the business, uh, like digital, like mobile. Um, that, to me, is right now is the most compelling part of the Nintendo investment story right now. So we go back to Matt's mailbag question. He cited specifically um, the strong company brand, their reputation for innovation, uh, very valuable intellectual property, mobile apps, esports potential. These are all tailwinds and kind of opportunities for Nintendo. And I think he's really on point with this list. If you read the letter to shareholders from company president Shuntaro Furukawa, he lays out some of the company's goals and strategies going forward um, in the 2018 annual report. So these include the desire to, number one, expand the digital business, including Nintendo Switch Online, which we'll talk about. Number two, leverage the company's IP in the massive installed base of smart devices around the world. And three, make Nintendo characters available for theme parks, film and other merchandise, exactly some of the things that Matt highlighted. And so we'll talk about each of these efforts, but in the context of the Switch, it's good to see essentially management learn from the mistake that they made with the Wii U. And a big part of that, the big failure I think there, was to draw interest from some third-party developers, any really, which really limited the library of titles titles available for that console. And so by opening up the Switch platform to all these other developers, this deeper library of third-party titles uh, which includes sometimes some more intense like action games, for example, that Nintendo doesn't produce themselves. It also includes, and this is, I think, a very smart play, some inexpensive retro titles. So if you have an Xbox One, maybe you can buy like a compilation that has a bunch of old games, but you can't just be like, I want Tekken 2, and it's $4.99 in the game store. That's how it works on the Switch. There's all sorts of price points you can hit, and some of it is just they poured it over cool other old titles that maybe were out of print. Yeah, and all this serves to expand the Switch's target market, and even the more you know dedicated adult gamers, people who are usually f- will uh, turn more to the PlayStation or the Xbox or PC games, for example, they have something to enjoy now in terms of titles available for the Switch. So the Nintendo reports the top-selling games for the Switch that it publishes specifically. So these are names like uh, Super Mario Odyssey, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, Splatoon 2, and of the ten best-selling Nintendo titles together, they've already moved 80, 48 million units as of the end of June 2018. So 18 months into its release, um, 87 million games sold for the Switch. That already puts it within reach of the lifetime game sales of the Wii U, which came out at about 102 million units. So again, you can see how quickly they've also it's approached up. game releases really well. They yes. handle them more like a movie coming out, so it's not a crowded schedule. And when something like Mario Kart came out, you knew it was coming, and there was a heavy pre-order push. So they've been very smart about they have all this intellectual property, but there isn't a new Mario Kart every year. There isn't a new Super Mario Brothers every year. They sort of space these things out to meet consumer demand and really like I would say those top games you talked about I bet most switch owners own like 80 or 90% of the top titles. Yep. So on top of that, um, on top of all the success that they've had, um, not only in terms of the console unit sales but the titles themselves, management offered sales guidance for fiscal 2019 uh, very bullish. So 20 million Switch console units expected to be sold in this current fiscal year, 100 million software units. Um, I have one Wall Street analyst estimate. Um, they put total Switch sales topping 130 million units by 2022. That would be an incredible run. It would even beat the original lifetime sales for the Wii. So really something in terms of the momentum here for this console. Um, I think that as optimistic or bullish that is, I think there's... 
um, some truth and some kind of beauty to the innovation in this device. You mentioned how it can play it in all these different ways, how it can appeal to these different target markets. Because um, based on historical sales, for example, you know, handheld devices tend to enjoy a longer shelf life. And Nintendo, with their Game Boy, their Game Boy Advance, Nintendo DS and 3DS, those four handheld devices, they together averaged 106 million units sold per device and an average of 550 million games sold per device. So and you can say that it adds a potential longer tail for the Switch. Those devices solve a problem for parents. You know, so you have, you don't have a kid, I have a 14 year old. When my son was eight, I didn't necessarily want to hand him a $400 device. You know, you wanted so a 3DS or maybe it wasn't even a 3DS at the time, whatever the the current handheld was, was an inexpensive, you know, under $200 device I could buy him with hundreds of archive titles, some of which I wanted to play that took care of long car rides and plane trips and so as a parent, it's a little hard to justify the $400 console, the my kid's going to be sitting inside, you know, playing video games. It's not that hard to justify the distractor on a long trip. That's a purchase for you. As so, that's sort of been the Nintendo bread and butter, and the 3DS kept them going along. But the most important thing about the Switch, and it and it touched on something, other forms of revenue you talked about, is if the Switch hadn't worked, they were going to have to license all their content to other platforms from a position of weakness. Mm-hmm. So you talked about you know digital and mobile. They're bringing Mario Kart to smartphones, yep. but they can do it in the best possible deal because they don't need smartphone distribution for Mario Kart to be successful, which they would have if the Switch hadn't worked. Yeah. And we're going to get into those efforts uh, in the second half of the show. But, you know, the 3DS even, uh, that was released in 2011, sold over 6 million units and 36 million uh, games in fiscal 2018. So, all this time later, it's still selling pretty well. Um, and the Switch being priced at about 300 bucks right now, that price will go down as all consoles um, experience that price decline over time. You're right in terms of it, uh, it occupying this kind of space um, you know, for kids and for more dedicated gamers alike as a really solid option that fills this kind of unique niche that I think Nintendo has done a very good job doing. Next up, we're going to take a closer look at the other areas, the other opportunities where Nintendo sees a lot of long-term potential. This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Bamboo HR. Hey, if you have your own small or medium-sized business, or if you work in HR, you know how crazy it can be. Spreadsheets, paperwork, employee issues, and more. That's where Bamboo HR can help. Bamboo HR can manage all of your employee data and automate countless tasks in one easy-to-use system so you can focus on people. Right now, Bamboo HR is giving our listeners a special extended free trial. That's right. Try out Bamboo HR for a full 14 days free by going to bamboohr.com fool. Again, that's bamboohr.com fool. Thanks again to Bamboo HR for their support. All right, so for these other long-term opportunities that Nintendo sees, um, you've mentioned a couple of them, let's talk digital and online. So Nintendo reported that digital sales for the Switch were up 87% in fiscal 2018, but still a very small part of the business at just $573 million, about 6% of total revenue. Um, Growing, fast growing, though. It's something Nintendo can do better than other publishers. Because most of the biggest selling titles are actually titles they own, cutting out the middleman is a huge increase in revenue. In theory, it could allow them to sell you a game directly cheaper and still make more money. So the negative on digital downloads and what's been holding them back is is speed. 
I, I don't know. Do do you own a, a game console? Yes, I do, but have not you, the Switch. Hey, have you ever downloaded a game? Yes. It's slow. It can take all day. And there are huge download. files these days. Yeah. The, the Switch games are more simple. You know, because they don't have the top tier resolution, they don't have some of the some of the Switch games. You could decide at dinner, I'm going to download this game, and then by the time you're done, it's done. So this is an improving technology that creates a really easy way to put games into people's hands. You no longer have to stand in line in stores. You can get things on release days. You can charge more to get it three or four days early, which they've done on some of their games. So this is going to be a growing area, but it's something that's more dependent on internet than it is necessarily Nintendo. Yeah, and their Switch Online offering was only launched last month uh, on September 18th. So this gives players the ability to access online multiplayer, uh, certain voice chat services, uh, cloud saves, and other features. Uh, The corresponding online subscriptions for the PlayStation and Xbox, for example, um, they've made a lot of money for Sony and Microsoft. And we've talked before uh, in the context of these video game companies, how digital downloads, not only in terms of the lower cost of distributing games digitally, but all the different add-ons and in-game purchases that can be made are really boosting the margins for those companies. Um, The Switch Online requires a monthly or annual subscription. It's 4 bucks a month or $20 a year. I think there's another uh, three-month option as well. But that's a lot cheaper than the competing services, and uh, the the I guess rationale for that has been that Nintendo's Switch Online offers less functionality than what PlayStation Xbox offers. The reason it took so long, they've always had digital downloads since the Switch launched. You could always buy games, but there was no multiplayer. There was no. The reason they waited is because Nintendo has to build something with family friendly tools in place, so I can subscribe and know my child is going to be playing games in a, call it, PG environment, which is certainly not the case with Sony and Microsoft. Sure. Um, And there were delays uh, for the Switch Online. Those are actually originally slated for fall 2017, ended up being pushed a full year. But I think this shows us that as innovative as Nintendo can be with their devices, uh, management also uh, has a reputation of being pretty conservative when approaching certain uncharted territory, in this case, with this kind of digital online offering. The potential for backlash for them is very huge. If you've, you know, I'm sure you've dealt with some of the negativity in the online, you know, you're playing a game and there might be, you know, there might be words you don't want your kids hearing. There might be, you know, racism or taunting or who knows. So Nintendo goes very carefully because they don't want to be in a situation where any of their family-friendly games, and even when they take a, a, a sort of you know NC17 game or you know an adult game and port it to Nintendo, they generally tone it down a little bit, take some of the blood out, take some of the violence out. So this was just all in the traditional line of Nintendo very carefully protecting its brand. Yeah. Another feature of Switch Online is access to some of the games from the company's very long history, their storied library. Uh, the popularity and value of the Nintendo, um, their library of titles, I think it's really undeniable at this point. And a good example of just how, valu- how valuable it has been for the company is in the limited runs that they offered for the NES Classic and then the SNES Classic. So these were. Um, kind of like shrunken down versions of those original classic consoles. Um, the first one, the NES Classic, had 1.5 million units 
limited, sold out in no time. And then the SNES Classic for fiscal 2018 sold 5.3 million units. And each of these holds about 20 or so games. You simply couldn't find them. I yeah. would love to own either one of them, and they were not available. And people love some of these classic titles that much. Um, they still love them, and that's something that's also offered with the Switch Online subscription. And, and it fits the age group. So if you have an eight-year-old and he's never played Castlevania before. He's not going to feel like it's outdated. It's that so because the Switch doesn't have the whiz bang graphics of the Xbox One or the PS4, the younger user who's been playing you know games on their mobile phone or their parents' mobile phone, all of those archive titles are very fresh and very exciting because they haven't started playing Call of Duty and like the the very high end immersive realistic games. So that subscription price, I'd be shocked if they don't you know. Achieve a pretty high penetration pretty quickly because it's almost an incidental cost at this point. Yeah. So, an uh, even bigger opportunity than uh, Switch Online, in my opinion, is taking all this intellectual property that Nintendo has, uh, these very famous franchises and characters, and leveraging outside of Nintendo's core territory in terms of video games. So, that's why a lot of investors are tracking the company's progress in mobile. So, in the annual report, management said about its smart device games or its mobile games, uh, we plan to expand our smart device business into one of our major pillars of revenue, and in doing so, strengthen the foundations of the business, generate synergy with our dedicated video game business, and maximize business for Nintendo as a whole. So, the smart devices business grew 60%, 62% year-over-year to $370 million in fiscal 2018. So, it's, again, this is a small but a fast-growing part of the Nintendo empire. What do you think? I think it's important. You know, It used to be a very walled world. If you wanted uh, Nintendo characters, you had to buy a Nintendo device. I don't think they should take every game and port it to every platform. I think we've seen recently, you know, Sony having the uh, the the new Spider-Man game exclusively was a driver for for video game sales. But I do think selectively taking titles, you know, bringing a version of Mario Kart that's appropriate for a smartphone to a smartphone is probably going to make people want to play the full version of the game and do all the things you could do in Switch or if you've ever played it in like a Dave and Buster's, you know, all that kind of stuff. You can't do that all on a smartphone, but you can bring the experience, you could build the base. You know, look what they've been able to do with Pokémon. You know, Pokémon Go is a sort of Nintendo related product. The ownership of all that is complicated, but that took a character that was previously only a 3DS character in terms of video games and a Nintendo console character and made it, if not still the biggest, for a time, the biggest mobile game. So that showed the enormous potential of taking Mario or Donkey Kong or Zelda or... Uh, actually, it's not Zelda. It's Link, who who's the character in Zelda, and just bringing all those to other devices. If they do it carefully, it could be very, very big. Yeah, just an example here. Super Mario Run was the first mobile title it launched in 2016. Has been downloaded over 200 million times. Um, so again, this is a case where Nintendo was late to the game, um, just as it was with online multiplayer service, for example. But this part of the business reminds me a little bit of Walt Disney, um, in that you know you have all these beloved characters. Um, Nintendo, all, all all the company has to do is bring them to more mediums, and in the process, they expand their fan base and their audience, which ultimately attracts more people to its core video game business. So it's a nice kind of ecosystem play if they can develop it successfully. They have the IP, and we've talked about this before. It was always a little strange that they didn't license out. And I understand when video games were, you know, the consoles were the whole world that you weren't going to take. Uh, you know, we're going to take Super Mario and bring it to Xbox because maybe people wouldn't buy a Nintendo console at that point. But now that a console is not competing with a smartphone, 
Those are different gameplay experience. It's different times of day, different locations. They really should bring as much as they can sort of everywhere to, as you said, to grow their fan base, to just make everything bigger and make these characters bigger. You know, we're, we're going to talk about movies and other things, but the more people who know these peop- these characters, the more T-shirts you sell, the more licensed ice cream or whatever it might be. And hopefully get video game titles, too. Hopefully right? video game titles, too. Oh, well, let's get into the stuff that you mentioned. So yeah. I've heard a bit about a potential uh, new Super Mario movie in the works um, that's uh, currently kind of going through. I don't think through, they could top the old one. Uh, <laughs> you know, going through the potential production phase, but they've also gone through more licensing stuff in terms of theme parks, which you brought to my attention. Can you talk a little bit about that? So right now at the uh, Universal Studios location in Japan, they're actually already under construction on called a Nintendo Land. It's a it's a handful of rides. They've been very secretive, but we know there'll be a Mario Kart ride. But think of it like the Star Wars expansion at Disney, a very immersive land, you know, just a a big deal. And in Orlando, They've said we are going to build out Nintendo properties, but they've been very cagey about where. And the rumors had always been sort of at the the original Universal Studios. There's kind of a kid's area that's a little bit lifeless. It would make sense. But then about a month ago, it became public that Universal Studios is building a fourth gate, another theme park, and and they've amassed a big chunk of land to do that. So it's very logical to think that Nintendo is going to be the cornerstone, the sort of Harry Potter of this new theme park. And maybe there will be something tying it to one of the other theme parks, like the train ties the two Harry Potter world together to sort of help sell multi-day tickets. So this is a risk for Universal and a huge win for Nintendo because they're getting the licensing fee, whether it's an instant success or not. And the all the other, all the new people going to this park and enjoying those rides, again, bringing them potentially into this this world for Nintendo. In theory, you're going to get people who go on the ride not knowing what Mario Kart is or never having, you know, played Pokémon that are going to enjoy the ride experience and then go out and experience the video games. Yep. All right, last up, we only have a couple more minutes. I do want to talk about esports uh, since that's one of the more popular trends at the moment in the entire video game sector uh, and where Nintendo is with uh, kind of this trend. So, if you're a listener and you guessed that Nintendo is a little bit late to the game, again, you'd be <laughs> right. Uh, in esports, Nintendo uh, has typically taken a more hands-off approach, allowing uh, independent tournament organizers to basically set up their own events and prizes with very limited input from the company. So maybe Nintendo will offer some marketing support, some hardware support, providing uh, consoles, for example, to the to the tournament uh, or the event. But their event, their efforts have ultimately been nothing like what Activision and EA have on the uh, in the works in terms of these multi-million-dollar franchises, major tournaments, thousands of spectators, and these really big cash prizes, even. But Nintendo's experimenting more with formal esports as of this summer. Um, they had the Splatoon 2 World Championship and also the Super Smash Brothers uh, Invitational Tournament to showcase those titles, especially the upcoming Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, which is coming in December for the Switch. Very, very high anticipated title for that console. Um, it should be a huge seller in the holiday season. So I think even Super Smash Bros. alone could be a, a big tailwind for increased software sales or game sales and also console sales for anyone who's been holding out for this, you know, one of the more most popular multiplayer titles of all time, really. And, and they've really built the case for buying the Switch by, you know, at first it's like, well, okay, Mario Kart, I kind of want that. Then it, they, they add one title every quarter that eventually you're like, boy, I, I have to get this. There's like 10 things. 
But in terms of esports, they have to engineer some of their games a little differently. Uh, if you look at sort of older versions of Super Smash Brothers, they're not purely competitive games. There's a level of goofiness to it that sort of takes away in the esports. So I haven't played the new title, but I would assume it's going to at least have the option of a more pure who is better competition as opposed to we're playing and then I stepped on something that made me super powerful and I kill you and it had nothing to do with who's better. So I would assume they're going to have to either have loose, more fun tournaments that aren't as competitive or they're going to have to put out games that sort of work to that world. Yeah. All right. So we're running out of time. Uh, final thoughts from me. Matt, you know, this is definitely a case um, where I can see where you're coming from in that Nintendo does not get enough uh, love compared to some of the other US-based video game companies. But I think the turnaround, um, thanks to the success of the Switch, is pretty undeniable. And I do really like uh, some of the other investments and uh, focuses that the comp- management is taking in terms of what they can do with all that valuable IP that they have. Um, any final thoughts from you, Dan? If you look at the life cycle of consoles, the success of the Switch gives them 10 years to plan for what happens next. So I think what happened is they'd had a steady stream of always having a successful console. So that got them a little bit complacent. They didn't have to license. They didn't have to partner. They didn't have to do theme park deals. Now, if the Switch is the last successful Nintendo console, I think they'll be ready for the world that 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 could represent that, where they're licensing, they have partnerships, they've worked with Apple, they've worked with other people. So this sort of reset the company and gives them time to become a growth story when they were definitely a shrinking story that owns some really good IP. So this this makes me very excited about the future of Nintendo. Yeah, and it certainly helps to be able to make some of those investments, uh, you know, uh, go through some of this ex- these experiments when you're on a swing and you're you know doubling revenue in the past fiscal year. All right, thanks, Dan, I'll, uh, for being here again. Happy birthday, buddy! Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Matt for writing in. And remember, listeners, if you ever want to reach out to the Industry Focus team, you can send us an email, industryfocus at fool.com, or go to Twitter. You can find us at MF Industry Focus. Thanks, fools, for listening. People in the program may own companies discussed in the show, and the Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based only on what you hear during the program. Fool on. Fool on.